Welcome to North Main Podcast, a production of North Main Street Church of God in Butler, Pennsylvania. This podcast brings you North Main's messages every week and inspires you to know Christ intimately, grow in Christ continually, and go for Christ daily. I invite you to listen in today as we explore the Bible and learn about its timeless truth for living life God's way. Let's listen to Pastor Brandon as he brings us today's message. What is redemption? What a perfect way to lead into the concluding message today of Ruth. Ruth is a four-chapter book in the Old Testament. It's near the beginning of the Bible. Uh, You've got Genesis through Deuteronomy, known as the first five books of the Bible. They're called the Pentateuch or the Torah. You go beyond that, you have Joshua, Judges, and then you have the book of Ruth. Today we're going to talk about how kindness restores. We've been talking about how love is kind. We're in a season of love. Our our word for the year 2019 at North Main is love. And it's not just any kind of love. It's agape love. It's the love of 1 Corinthians 13 where Paul writes, love is patient, love is kind. It does not boast or brag. It goes on and on and on. We're going to be breaking that down throughout the whole year as we look through Scripture. As you continue to read, we challenged you at the very beginning of this year, read through the Bible with us. We gave you reading guides to go through it chronologically. And we gave you pink highlighters, if you remember. Pink giving us this idea or this, this remembrance of love. And we said, as you read from Genesis to Revelation, highlight evidence of God's love in your weekly and daily readings. As we come to the end of Ruth, the last chapter, four chapters, we see how this story concludes with an act of loving kindness after another to the point that it has eternal ramifications. This one four-chapter book in the Old Testament holds a very prized and cherished place within the Old Testament, and within the history of God's people. Author and speaker Ron Hutchcraft recalls following, uh, the following story of redemption. He said, at a gathering of friends at an English estate, uh, nearly, uh, it nearly turned into tragedy when one of the children strayed into deep water many, many years ago. The gardener heard the cries for help. He plunged in and rescued this drowning child that had fallen in. The youngster's name was Winston Churchill. How many of you have heard of Winston Churchill, the great prime minister during World War II of Great Britain? This is a child that fell in and nearly drowned to death. His grateful parents asked the gardener what they could do to reward him. He hesitated as if to think, well, I'm not going to really, you don't owe me anything. But he said, I wish my son could go to college someday and become a doctor. That's all he said. Churchill's parents said, well, we'll see to it that he gets that education. Years later, while Sir Winston Churchill was prime minister of England, he was stricken with pneumonia. The country's best physician was summoned. His name was Dr. Alexander Fleming, the man who discovered and developed penicillin. He was also the son of a great gardener who had saved young Winston from drowning many years earlier. Later, Winston Churchill would go on to remark, rarely has one man owed his life twice 
to the same person. Today we approach the subject of redemption and restoration in this final chapter of the book of Ruth. As we conclude this series today, we're not able only to see how God restored and resolved Naomi and Ruth's hopeless situation. We see how a revelation of God's loving kindness can restore hope and joy beyond our wildest imaginations. Today we witness the redemption of a kind and loving God who desires our best and not our worst. Dr. J. Elder Cumming contended that in, in almost every case, the beginning of a new blessing is a new revelation of the character of God, more beautiful and more wonderful than the pres- the, 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 and more precious than the first. This is the conclusion of their story. So if you would, turn with me to Ruth chapter 4. I'm reading from the New Living Testament today, starting with verse 1. Boaz. Who is Boaz? In case you haven't been with us this whole series, Boaz is the family redeemer or one of the family redeemers of Naomi. Naomi, her husband Elimelech, and their two sons went off to Moab, which is a different nation southeast of Israel, or it was in the ancient times, because there was a famine in the land. While there, Elimelech died, leaving Naomi a widow. And believe it or not, Naomi's two sons ended up dying, leaving her with two daughters-in-law that have no husbands. So now Ruth has nobody to care for her in her old age. All of her heirs are gone. Her descendants, or or her her, uh, lineage is, is smashed. She's considered homeless at this point, according to the customs of the day. So she finds out the famine is is lifted in Israel, and she decides to make her way back to Bethlehem, where they came from in Israel. And she's about partway down the road, her daughters-in-law in tow. She says, you know what? This is going to be too hard for you. You're going to a foreign land. Nobody's going to know you there. Uh, aside from that, you're, you're, you're women of a pagan culture. You won't be treated well. Why don't you go back home while you're still young? You can start life over, find a new husband, have children of your own. You're off the hook. You don't need to come with me anymore. Orpa. The one daughter-in-law decides to take her up on her offer. She goes back home and lives with her parents. And we don't know to this day, did she remarry, did she not? But we know a lot about Ruth because Ruth said, no, 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 Naomi, I'm going to go with you. Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. Your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. I'm not going to leave you. And seeing that Ruth wasn't going to back down, Naomi said, okay, come along. And we've been watching as they got back into town. Ruth begins to go and glean in the fields. What does it mean to glean? Well, the homeless and those who didn't have money for food would go into the local fields of harvest and they would go behind the harvesters. And if any little granule of grain or anything fell to the ground, it was free for anybody who was homeless to come and pick up. (laughs) This is called gleaning. So as the harvesters would harvest and bundle up the wheat or the barley or any kind of grain. Anything that fell to the ground was fair game. And so Ruth was going behind, picking up what she could so that she and Naomi could have at least a little something to eat for a day or two. She had to do this every day. It was grueling. It was frustrating at times. 
Ruth happens upon a field by the guy named Boaz. Enter Boaz into the scene. Boaz just happens to be a family member of Naomi's through Elimelech. He's a relative of her dead husband. And Boaz welcomes her, not only to glean in his fields, but to take as much as she needs, basically. He doesn't send her away empty-handed. And he says, please come back to my fields every time we have a harvest. You are welcome here. Why don't you eat at my table with my harvesters too? Well, I don't want you to go anywhere else. I want to protect you. Because if you go into any other field, they could abuse you. They could hurt you. You stay with me. And she did. Last week, we learned that Naomi said to Ruth, I want you to do this. Go take a bath. <laughs> Sorry. I still find that weird. It's like, it's like you have to be told to take a bath. Hey, go get, go, go take a bath. Why? Because she wanted her to get dolled up. Go take a bath. Put on sweet smelling perfumes. Put on the best garments you have. And then at nighttime, because Boaz going to be down at the threshing floors where they're getting the kernels of grain and processing all of that. I want you, when he falls asleep there, I want you to go uncover his feet. Sounds weird. And lay down at his feet. See, in our tradition, we do this. Will you marry me? In that tradition, if a woman wanted to marry a man who was a widow, she would go uncover the feet of, an, of a man while he's sleeping and lay down at his feet. I think we should still do that tradition today. Don't you? Yeah. So, in the middle of the night, obviously Boaz is getting cold feet, (laughs) and he wakes up. That's a dad joke. He wakes up in the middle of the night, and there's a woman down at his feet. Well, it's pitch black. What's he to do? Who the heck is there? Is basically Brandon's version of what happened. If you don't remember, read chapter three yourself. She said, it's me, Ruth. And he said, wow, wow. You could have gone after a younger guy. You could have gone after money, but you come to me. You are are one of the most faithful women to your mother-in-law I've ever witnessed in my whole life. Here's the deal. I'm not your closest relative, though. There's one that's closer than I am. And I'm going to have to go to the city gates. That's where all business was conducted in those towns in the day. And I'm going to have to meet him there and give him the opportunity to marry you and to restore your family line through Naomi. Because I can't do that. I'm not your closest relative. But if he refuses, you better bet I will take you as my own. I will care for you. I will protect you for the rest of your days. And here we pick up the story. Boaz went to the gate, took a seat there, and as was customary, anybody that had business during the day would always come through the gate. So he knew that the other family member would eventually come through the gate. There would always be the town council there waiting, and they would conduct business there. 
Just then the family redeemer he had mentioned came by, so Boaz called out to him, come over here and sit down, my friend. I want to talk to you. So they sat down together. And then Boaz called 10 leaders from the town and asked them to sit as witnesses. And Boaz said to the family redeemer, you know Naomi, who came back from Moab, right? She's selling the land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. Now, it's been contested that being the homeless woman and liminal woman she was, then how was she able to sell the land? We're not really sure. This is a mystery. Somehow, as a widow of Elimelech, she's fighting for her right over the land, even though she doesn't have an heir, and is trying to get it back to sell it. She's selling the land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should speak to you about it so that you can redeem it if you wish. It's fair game. It's up for grabs. You're the closest relative. You have first pick. If you want the land, then buy it here in the presence of these witnesses. But if you don't want it, then let me know right away because basically I'm next in line because I'm next in line to redeem it after you. The man replied, all right, I'll redeem it. I mean, yeah, I'd like more land. More land means more money, more prosperity. Then Boaz told him, well, of course you're purchase of the land from Naomi also requires that you marry Ruth, the Moabite widow, that she can have children who will carry on her husband's name and keep the land in the family. There's a curveball. <laughs> Wait a minute. If I redeem the land, then I have to marry Ruth because she was married to one of Naomi's sons who has jurisdiction over the land and he needs an heir birth through a family member and his widow in order to secure the land in their family line. That's how it worked. Okay, whoa, 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 wait a minute. The family redeemer says that Boaz is talking to, I can't redeem it because this might endanger my own estate. You redeemed the land, I cannot do it. So what he knew was, okay, if I have another wife and another son from them, not only will Elimelech's land go to him that I'm buying today, but there could be a conflict in the family and, and my own lineage could be in jeopardy. Uh, it's too big of a risk, I'm not gonna take it. He says, I can't do it. Now, in those days, it was custom in Israel for anyone transferring a right of purchase to remove his sandal and hand it to the other party. Uh, okay, so we, we go to a court of law, we get a contract, we have a notary, we have attorneys draw up these things, and that's how we do it. In that day and age, there was no paper trail or no contract. They would take off a sandal. If you knew you were going to make a business deal that day, you would not put on your best sandals <laughs> because you would walk away with one shoe on. In that day, it was customary for a purchase to remove a sandal and hand it to the other person. This publicly validated the transaction. So the other family redeemer drew off his sandal as he said to Boaz, you buy the land, here's your contract. And you take a little sniff to see if it's ripe. And you say, yep, this is good. I'll, you know, like you bite a coin to see if it's real. I'm sorry, it has nothing in there that says that part. 
Then Boaz said to the elders in the crowd standing around, You are witnesses that today I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Mahalon. Kilion and Mahalon are the sons that died. And with the land I have acquired Ruth, the Moabite widow of Mahalon, to be my wife. This way she can have a son to carry on the family name of her dead husband and to inherit the family property here in this hometown you are all my witnesses today. Yeah, we saw him take off his sandal and give it to Boaz. There's 10 of us. We agree. It happened. Then the elders and all the people standing at the gate said, we're all witnesses. May the Lord make this woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, from whom all the nation of Israel descended. May you prosper in Ephratah, which is Bethlehem, and be famous in Bethlehem. And may the Lord give you descendants by this young woman who will be like those of our ancestor Perez, the son of Tamar and Judah, which is actually a good thing. He's not cursing him. This is a good thing. So Boaz took Ruth into his home. She became his wife, and then he slept with her, and the Lord enabled her to become pregnant, and she gave birth to a son. The women of the town said to Naomi, you remember the ones in chapter 1 that said, Naomi's back! We're super stoked! I'm not kidding, that's what they said. If you don't believe me, read chapter 1 for yourselves. The same women of the town come out and say, Praise the Lord who has now provided a redeemer for your family. May this child be famous in Israel. May he restore your youth and care for you in your old age. For he is the son of your mother-in-law, or excuse me, your daughter-in-law, who loves you and has been better to you than seven sons. Naomi took the baby, cuddled him in her bre- to her breasts, and cared for him as if he were her own. That seems like an overstepping of boundaries. But in that day and age, it was okay, right? Some of you grandparents say, it's not an overstepping of boundaries for me. Give me my grandbaby. The neighbor women said, now at last, Naomi has a son again. And they named him Obed. He became the father of Jesse and the grandfather of David. This is a genealogical record of their ancestor Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Amenadab. Amenadab was the father of Nashon. Nashon was the father of Salmon. Salmon was the father of Boaz. Boaz, the father of Obed. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse was the father of David. Here's a key point this morning. True kindness has redeeming qualities. It heals what's broken and restores what's lost. How we need that kind of kindness today. How does the story of redemption and restoration unfold in this concluding narrative? Well, it starts with this, Boaz redeemed Ruth. How did Boaz redeem Ruth? He took her as his own wife. How did that redeem Naomi? Because when Ruth was taken care of and she bore a son, Naomi didn't have to worry about food or lodging or anything else. And she would actually have a descendant that would carry on the family line of her own children that had passed away. Boaz redeemed Ruth and in doing so he redeemed the inheritance of the land. And this land would be the inheritance of any son that would come through the marriage of Boaz and Ruth. 
Though we don't see it here, it's a shameful thing for a family redeemer not to redeem a widow. So when Boaz goes to the city gates and there's a closer relative than he is to Naomi, when he rejected that, can I tell you what the customary thing for a widow to do was? was, was can I tell you what happened? Oh, this is cool. <laughs> Deuteronomy 25, verse 7. If a man refuses to marry his brother's widow, she must go into the town gate and say to the elders assembled there, my husband's brother refuses to preserve his brother's name in Israel. He refuses to fulfill the duties of a brother-in-law by marrying me or a family redeemer. The elders of the town will then summon him and talk with him at the city gate. If he still refuses and says, I don't want to marry her, the widow must walk over to him in the presence of the elders, pull his, pull his sandal from his foot. Okay, picture this in your mind. This is, this is pretty interesting. She should walk over to him in the presence of all these witnesses at the city gate in a very public square, yank his sandal off his foot and spit in his face. Then she must declare, this is what happens to a man who refuses to provide for his brother and children. After, ever afterward in Israel, his family will be referred to as the family of the man whose sandal has been pulled off. And those are fighting words. This wasn't completely, completely the case in, in Ruth's situation because there was another guy who was waiting in line. He was an amazing man. Yes, he was much older than her. And you might think that sounds creepy, but in that day and age, there was nothing wrong with it because in the customs of the day, when the one family redeemer rejected her, it gave Boaz the opportunity because he cared for her. He truly loved her. He didn't want to see any harm come to her. He wanted to see Elimelech's family lineage continue on through her. He didn't care about the money. He didn't care about the land. All he cared about was redeeming Ruth. There's no selfishness in this. It wasn't about sex or anything else. It was about truly loving and caring for her that he redeemed her. The next part of this is that Obed redeemed Naomi. Obed, the grandson that came from the union of Boaz and Ruth, redeemed Naomi. It's interesting that a child is the object of redemption for Naomi in this passage, but consider what she, what she had lost up to this point. She has lost virtually everything, her husband, her two sons, her daughter-in-law, Orpah. She comes back home to Bethlehem from the country of Moab, completely lost, utterly destroyed by bitterness of her current circumstances. She is so desolate and heartbroken and seemingly nothing will ever change that. Do you remember when the women were in chapter one saying, yay, Naomi's back home. We're so excited to see you. What was her response to them? Don't call me Naomi. I'm no longer blessed. Call me Mara, because life has become very bitter for me. I've lost everything. God has his fist against me. I don't know why, but I'm being punished. Therefore, I'm bitter. Ruth has been redeemed by Boaz, 
And being the only remaining daughter-in-law of Naomi, she has an opportunity to have an heir that will not only take care of her beloved Ruth, but will care, carry on the family name and honor of her husband and her two dead sons. The birth of Obed restored what was lost to Naomi. Now, let, me, let me stop there for a minute. Because no child, no other person can ever take the place of those that you've lost. They can't. They'll never wipe out the memory of the love of your lost loved ones, of those who have passed on. But do you see how there can be hope through the blessing that God can give in situations that are detrimental seemingly to our lives? Look at the, the book of Job in the Old Testament. He lost everything. But he remained faithful to God in the midst of all of the loss and all the pain and all the struggle. And what did, what did he have to show for it in the end? Because of his faithfulness to God, he was blessed beyond measure. It didn't replace what was lost. But what he gained was a testimony of God's grace and mercy in the midst of difficulty. Naomi couldn't have imagined that through the union of Boaz and Ruth and her grandson Obed that centuries later would come a Messiah. Just a couple months ago we celebrated Christmas. Who is the reason for the season? Jesus. And if Jesus is the reason for the season, how do we know that he is who he said he was. Well, he did some amazing things while he was here, but there are also testimonies and prophecies of him some 700 plus years earlier through the prophets in the Old Testament. Who was the Messiah? What, what family lineage was the Messiah to come from? David. What city was David born in? Bethlehem. And even in Micah, we read that the Messiah would be born where? In Bethlehem. Where was Jesus born? Who was in his family lineage? Who, was his, who were his ancestors? His ancestors were from the line of David, who came from the line of Obed. So you're telling me that because of Boaz redeeming Ruth and the baby redeeming Naomi, through the baby's line, Obed, would come Jesse, and Jesse would beget David, and David, through a long line of succession, would ultimately beget the Messiah through Mary and Joseph. And what kind of redeemer was he? See, Naomi couldn't have fathomed in the desperation during the time of judges in the Old Testament that God would not only redeem her, but through her descendants would redeem the world. How powerful is that? Luke chapter 2. At that time, and the, the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. It was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for the census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. 
He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, his fiancée, who was now obviously pregnant. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her first child, a son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. Jesus, the one true redeemer the world has ever known, saved the world from sin and death. There is no other redeemer whose redemption takes away sin and death and whose loving kindness extends grace and mercy. As John reminds us in the New Testament gospel that bears his name, he was the word made flesh. Jesus was God in the flesh. There's no way that Naomi could have conceived that, could have fathomed that. Her ancestor would become the great I am. When God restores, he restores greater than what it was before. When God redeems, he redeems in ways that blow our minds and rocks our world. When God blesses, he blesses with an overabundance of grace and mercy unlike anything we've ever seen or experienced. And the only thing that holds us back from experiencing that is our own unfaithfulness and our own unwillingness to believe and to press into him when times get hard instead of leaving him when times get tough. You see, God gets the blame for so many things in this world that are not on his shoulders. The enemy prowls like a lion seeking whom he may devour. And those of us that don't have a faith or a belief in Christ or whose faith and weak is believed begin to doubt and we think God's doing all the bad stuff. God, why are you doing this to me? Why are you pressing on me? Sometimes God allows us to go through the tough times so that we become stronger in the process. Sometimes God allows us to go through the deep, dark valleys, not alone, but with him by our side, so that we come on the other side having a stronger faith that completes us and keeps us strong and pressing on toward that high calling. How did Jesus accomplish this family redeemer redemption of the world? How did he do that? Paul, who lived during the time of Jesus, wrote most of the New Testament, writes this testimony in his letter to the Roman church in Romans chapter 5. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a relationship with God and a new life for everyone. Why is Adam in the picture? <laughs> Where did everything go off the rails for the world? Go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. Through one man, sin entered the world. Why? Because one man disobeyed God's one command. And one command was, don't eat of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because when you eat it, you'll surely die. Basically, God was telling him, if you eat this tree that I'm telling you not to eat, you'll usher in a devastating effect called death. Don't do it. I give you everything else. Just this one thing I don't want you to do. And through the temptation of the serpent wrapped around that stupid tree, what happens? 
we become deceived. Adam became deceived into believing that if he breaks one's God, one, one of God's, the, God's one rule, that it'll be okay. I'll actually be like God. That's what this serpent's telling me. So yeah, I want to be like God. You've heard me say this before. How many of you have children that want to be like you? And remember, I have four kids, and each of them have worn my shoes before, trying to walk in my shoes. They, they imitate my mannerisms or mommy's mannerisms. And when you're offered that, oh yeah, I want to become like my daddy. At least when you're younger, when you get older, you realize, <laughs> heck no, <laughs> right? But see, God is perfect, whereas our, our, our earthly fathers are not. So who wouldn't want to be like their perfect heavenly father? Yes, through one man's sin, condemnation came into the world for everyone. But through one man's act of righteousness, Jesus, it brings us into right relationship with God and new life. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one person obeyed God, many can become righteous. Well, how do we do that? We become righteous by believing in Jesus and following him. The price Jesus paid for our redemption is terrible indeed. When we think of the extreme suffering that he endured to purchase our freedom from sin's penalty, as we talked about earlier during our time of communion, our hearts should overflow with love for him. Leslie B. Flynn told a story that illustrates this truth, and this is what I close with this morning. An orphan boy was living with his grandmother when their house caught fire. The grandmother, trying to get upstairs to rescue the boy, perished in the flames trying to get to him. The boy's cries for help were finally answered by a man who climbed an iron drain pipe next to a window and brought the boy back down, hanging tightly to his neck. Several weeks later, a public hearing was held to determine who would re receive the custody of a child. It was, this happened many, many years ago when we didn't have all the red tape the way we do today. A farmer and a teacher and the town's wealthiest citizens all came and gave reasons why they felt they should, uh, they should choose the boy to have in their home. But as they talked, the little boy's eyes remained focused to the floor having gone through such a devastating circumstance, having lost everything he ever knew. He's scared to death. Then a stranger walked to the front and slowly took his hands out from his pockets, resealing severely scarred hands. As the crowd gasped, the boy cried out in recognition. This was a man who had saved his life. His hands had been burned when he climbed the hot pipe to rescue the boy. And with a leap, the boy threw his arms around the man's neck and held on for dear life. The other men silently walked away, leaving the boy with his rescuer. Those marred hands had settled the issue of who would be the best to care for this young child. See, many voices are calling for our attention today. Among them is the one whose nail-pierced hands remind us that he rescued us from sin and its deadly consequences. To him belongs our love and devotion. Through this one act of sacrificial kindness and love, everyone has the opportunity to be redeemed by Jesus and have faith in him.
As our worship team comes forward to conclude our time together, I want you to remember this. You may be kicking and fighting against a belief in Jesus Christ. Interestingly enough, he loves you in spite of that. You see, he took the scars that were reserved for us. He took our punishment upon himself when he allowed himself to be nailed to a cross. He took our death and the penalty of our sins upon the cross with him so that all we have to do is to believe in him and we will not perish but have everlasting life. Yes, you will die a physical death someday, but your eternal soul could live on forever in the peace and the sanctity of heaven where there is no sin or death or sorrow or pain or suffering or tears of sadness. So this morning, if you have yet to make that commitment to your family redeemer, Jesus, make that today. If you need to restore that family connection because you've become estranged to Jesus through suffering and frustration like Naomi did, where she said, don't call me blessed, call me Mara, maybe you need to come back and be redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Because it's only through the blood of the Lamb that we receive eternal life. And it's only by our surrendering to him and believing in him that we step into his grace. I usually close with this and tell you, if you want to come forward and pray that prayer and you want someone to be there with you, to pray along with you, because maybe you don't know how to do this, you come to my right, your left. There's an altar up here that you can kneel at and somebody will meet you here and pray with you. You will not be condemned or ostracized or judged. You'll be welcomed with loving arms. If you want to pray alone, you come to my left, your right. There's an altar here as well. Maybe you just don't want anybody to be around you. You just want to pray and settle things between you and God alone. We respect you enough to allow that to happen. But don't leave this place today without having made that commitment. Not because I'm telling you to, but because Jesus desires for you to come in to his loving arms and allow him to wrap around you with his loving kindness. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Without you, we know there is no hope. We pray that in these few moments that we have together as we close out this service, that you'd remind us of your undying and unwavering commitment to us through Jesus Christ. Remind us of your loving kindness that stretched his arms out to be nailed to a cross. Remind us that our salvation comes only through him and through nothing else and no one else. And God, help us to have the courage to step out in faith today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us this week. Check back next week as we dig deeper and go further in our understanding of God's Word. Make sure to visit us on our website at www.northmaincog.org where you can learn more about us. While you're at it, go ahead and subscribe to our podcast. And if you found value in today's message, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that'd be helpful too. If you'd like to donate to the ongoing ministry of North Main, go to www.northmaincog.org and click on the Give tab at the top of the screen. Again, thanks for listening. 
We look forward to you joining us again next week.